This season, turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie up some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. Can't live on that bread alone. Every word of God's mouth will fuel me on. That's scripture, that's Christ alone. That's grace alone, that's faith alone. All glory to God, cause that's his alone. Since the land's been slain, we can each belong. The Lord is my strength, my peace, and my song. Get our it all down at the feet of his throne. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Fails torn in two, so we could be alright. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to bring them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now one truth, life, one way to his throne. It's a year of the feast, we gon' grow some Time to put some meat on the bones Gotta put the milk down, son, it's time to leave home I'm just saying there's a time in the season You gotta be a Berean If you just hear and believe it, you could be walking with demons It could be rendering season All the things that go to God, that's a little like treason Wait, welcome back, my friends Did you ever really think we could pass the 10? Our stock's up, we about to trend Cause the whole 36 wanna rap again Wait, sounds too good to be true Like we're bending candy land, ain't no ladders, just shoot We hold true, if it's older than the canon Best believe it's understanding, if it's not, it ain't proof like sacred name of the two house frame ears start to tickle then you fill it in the blanks you better not you be better off not trying to hassle hop you can take it to the bank this night ready he's about to go off with the ring on your finger from the cracker jack box it's hide and seek let's see if you can find out all the little messages you hear before the timeout ever seen a scholar with a blue belt i have he's about to make your food melt the loud one and he strikes again but don't let him close range he gonna bite your friends so relax gotta still in control he knows every care every village you hold he knows every hair every need for your soul nothing new round here this story's been told i bet you feel weak and your life is in tatters with bruised feet your body is battered you can't reach trying to climb up that ladder sit back and hold fast to messiah matters January 24th, 2024, this is Messiah Matters number 459. Maybe the Qumran sect just wanted to get away for some peace and quiet and it stuck. My name is Caleb Hegg. 
Hey, that's the best explanation yet. I'm Rob Vanoff. <laughs> yeah, man. Talking about Qumran today. They, they didn't call themselves Qumran. So that just that's we call it that now. I actually got a question. We should probably answer this once we get to the main topic, but we got a question about whether or not the Essenes were the Qumran sect or not. So we'll remember that because I don't think I wrote that down. But we'll talk about that when we get to it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to everybody in the uh, chat room. Looks like we got an active and good showing already. Wow, we already got 28 uh, viewers. Okay, we need six more. No, eight more. And then we're calling it. (laughs) And then then we're done. (laughs) Then we are done. Um, Yeah. Quit while you're at 36. (laughs) Quit while you're at 36, no doubt. So we want to welcome everyone who's in the chat room. Uh, Good to see all of you. And uh, welcome to everybody who's watching this at a later time or listening on a podcast format. We're going to try to make it interesting for you no matter what medium you are on. Um, Before we get started, we're going to go through the same old thing we do every single week. If you want to send us a topic or you want to uh, tell us what you think about us or anything that you want to do, you can do so by shooting us an email, chegatorresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. You can also uh, give us a call on our comment line. This is a, uh, this is a answering machine. It is not a, uh, it's not, you're not going to talk to us. You're just going to talk to an answering machine, which det- means you can say whatever you want. You can tell us how much you love us, hate us, agree with us, disagree with us. It doesn't matter. You can say whatever you want. Two, five, three, four, six, five, thirty-two. It will five. not talk back. It will not talk back to you. Maybe. Uh, two, five, three, four, six, five, 3205. And then, um, of course, it won't if you interrupt to, you. It won't interrupt. Uh, like Rob does to me so often. Um, <laughs> and it won't escalate. <laughs> uh, messiahmatters.com. Listen to past shows and uh, all sorts of stuff. Buy merch. In fact, somebody just said we need a new season 11 hoodie. So we're going to get uh, Mike right on that at some point. I think the person who said that was actually Rob. And of course, this show is produced by tourresource.com. Go there for all sorts of free stuff. And uh, we are totally revamping the uh, library right now. It's going to be freaking awesome once it's done, but it's going to take us a good year or so to get it done. That's how much, that's how much stuff is going in there. It's, uh, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, tourresource.com. And finally, do not forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. I know it sounds weird, but it really does help us. If you're already subscribed, do us a different favor then and press the like button. That helps us as well. looks like we're already getting some good chats going on. Hang on, let me cough real quick. In the chat room, David Wilbur showed up. What's up, Dave? Good to see you, brother. Uh, and uh, we have people mentioning Solberg already. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to let I'm going to let all y'all figure that one out. Um, OK, and while y'all figure it out, what we're going to do is we're going to talk. We're going to we're going to jump right in to, on this beautiful Wednesday morning. And I can tell already, by the way, that Rob is in the chat room. I can tell no, from not. the the glossy. I'm actually, yeah, I just had an idea. I'm emailing you and Mike right now. <laughs> it, it's just going to take a sec. So here, here's the thing. Rob is one of those extremely brilliant guys who no. is like on oh, on like no. on like the brilliant spectrum. But the 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 ability to do two things at once is just non-existent. <laughs> well, it is not there. All right. Well, while Rob uh, does whatever it is he is doing, we are going to. Um, move to our show notes and we are going to go to Stephanie. Now, 
You guys in out there in listening land and watching land might not realize this, but you know Stephanie because she is responsible. She provides for, the content. Yeah, <laughs> mystery Bible, Bible theater, theater three thousand. <laughs> Stephanie is essentially uh, she's not on payroll, but essentially she is on staff. Uh, she, as, she she enjoys. <laughs> volunteering these <laughs> she, great, she, uh, she is our content ideas. <laughs> yeah, she's yes, exactly. She's our volunteer. She is uh she's our intern. She's our Mystery Bible Theater 3000 intern. <laughs> and uh basically she comes up with a good 75% of our of our content for Mystery Bible Theater 3000, which by the way, you can see Fridays 9:30 a.m. on this YouTube channel. That's and, when it uh, drops. And that's when it drops. And actually I premiered it this this week and so uh it, it'll premiere at 9:30. AM. Okay. What is premiere? I thought, what do you mean? It just means that there's a countdown and everybody can watch it live. Like they're watching a live show. We're not recording it live like this show, but it plays like a live show. Can people comment? Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Okay, cool. So with all of that said, let's go to Stephanie. She uh, writes in a, a non-mystery Bible theater 3000 question today. She says this, did Yeshua offer any sacrifices? She's changing lanes. She's changing lanes. What are you doing? She's changing lanes. Uh, did Yeshua offer any sacrifices? Should I assume that he did because he followed Torah and celebrated the festivals? I can't think of any example in scripture. Did I miss it? A am I being foolish even asking? This is not a foolish question. It's a good question. Not um, at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a great question, I would say. And... Um, so examples. Well, okay. I've been doing uh, a lot of memory work and this is totally off topic, but it's going somewhere, I promise. So I've been doing a whole lot of memory work and uh, learning how to memorize verbatim text uh, in an extremely quick uh, amount of time. One of the ways that I have done this is I made myself a bracelet and the bracelet has all these different, um, all these different beads on it that I've chosen. And I've chosen them because they remind me of something, which then reminds me of the, uh, sacrificial system. So I have the entire sacrificial system on this bracelet that I wear around. So anytime I'm just sitting around, I can look at the bracelet and start to think through the sacrificial system, all the sacrifices, what they were for, what they mean, all this kind of stuff. Okay. So all of that to say, the reason I bring that up is because the sin sacrifice, which is um, which is prescribed for women who have just ha uh, given childbirth, right? After the day of, after the day of impurity, after the time of impurity, uh, and it's different for a, for a, uh, if they give birth to a, well, there, a male there is a sin, a female. There's a sin sacrifice in and of itself. And then this right. is one specific, this is one specific time. Right. right. Gotcha. But the reason yeah. I, the reason I bring it up is because the bead that I have for this is blue. It's a, like a Royal blue. Right. And it reminds me that uh, when Yeshua was born, his mother took a sacrifice up and the sin sacrifices can also be a purification sacrifice, right? So it's, it's a sin sacrifice or a purification sacrifice. And so I remember because of the color of the speed that Yeshua is the King and that he was, that a sacrifice was made for him by his mother. Uh, and it wasn't a sin sacrifice necessarily, but a purification sacrifice. All of that to say, I think that Yeshua clearly had to have, uh, sacrificed, um, uh, in the temple. Now, the, the the real question I think that would be asked at this point is, could Yeshua ever become ritually unclean? Because, for instance, the women, the woman who is uh, who who grabs his garment, right? She's impure because of a flow of blood, and then when she touches him, she becomes ritually clean instead of the other way around. It's kind of like the altar, right? I think the altar did the same thing. Um, and so the 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 question is, is was he ever ritually unpure? Now, I would argue. That she asked for like examples. He uh, Yeshua tells his uh, his disciples to go to the temple and prepare the Pascha. Right, he says, "Go prepare the Pascha." 
And so they go prepare it. What does this mean? It means that they are that they go to the temple and they they have the the lamb sacrificed. I would argue that this is not a first time event for Yeshua, and that Yeshua himself has gone to you know it says they went up to the uh, to Jerusalem as was their custom right for like for the Passover. This is during the time when he's left there, right? He's left at the temple right after the, the Passover, the, the Passover event. And so the, the Which question means they had gone, I think he was 12 years old. They'd gone every year, right? right? Yep. Um, and, and clearly he continues to go, right? Clearly he continues to go. So I would argue that at the very least, he is participating in the sacrificial system uh, at the Passover time. However, it seems... Um, it seems to me extremely likely that he has gone for many, many other sacrifices. Rob? Yeah, that's right on. And and for all the feasts, particular for the seven days of Pesach, there is a sin offering every day um, that is obligatory for the nation as a whole. It's not it's not an individual repentance type of sin offering, but nevertheless, same with right. Sukkot. Throughout Sukkot, there's a there's a, a sin offering every day, and we don't even have to just narrow it down to sin offerings. There's burn offerings, fellowship offerings, and sin offerings that are obligatory for the festivals. Yeah, and they're exactly. they're independent of those who would individually bring a, a whole burn offering or a or a what they call a zivche shalamim, a, a fellowship offering or peace offering, however you want to translate that. Um, also that he also commanded, like, remember when he cleansed the leper, he said, go offer what Moses commanded. So, right. so not only, so there's full endorsement. Maybe that might be a way people could think. Yeah, he, he absolutely endorsed, but at the same time, he didn't um, refrain from speaking truth, particularly, you know, knocking over the tables and right. freeing some of the animals that were part of a, a, uh, kind of profiteering scam, right? You know, this is a house, this is my father's house. It's a house of prayer for all nations. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. So um, it's the Let's den of the thieves that he's, that he is uh, disrupting. He's not disrupting the house of prayer aspect. Let, let's go a little bit different direction with this, because the, the other thing is, is that clearly Yeshua does things in his life that um, are a given, right? He doesn't necessarily have to do them. For instance, he goes out to be baptized by John. Now, why would he have to do this? If he's the son of God, clearly he's been, I mean, he doesn't have to commit his life to, to God. He, he is one in the same, right? So why does he do this? Well, he does this because he's a human. He has, he has come in human form, right? Philippians 2. He's come in human form. And as a human, he is um, he is not only the example, the perfect example of the perfect Israelite, right? So he goes out, but he is he is walking perfectly in uh, in the way that we should walk. And this once again goes back to our conversation of what was it uh, two weeks ago when we talked about the the. Um, I got so many things going on in my head right now, by the way, when we talked about the, uh, what the, the, the purpose of the Torah was. Okay. And, um, so, uh, people have asked this question and, and I'll, I'll reference it now. The, um, man, I guess I'm in my, hang on. Just 
Um, the book, by the way, that I am currently reading, which by the way is dynamite, is by Roy Gain, which we have mentioned numerous times since the ETS. Uh, Doctor Gain um, is a Seventh Day Adventist, but his his scholarship is uh, is. I, I think some of the best uh, for me and in the topics that I'm listening to, some of the best at the ETS. Uh, I really enjoy listening to him. Uh, with that said, his book is absolutely fantastic, and it What's starts the name out. Again? Uh, his name is Roy Gain. No, but I know, but it's all, is that old? The Old Testament, Testament for, for Christians, Christians or something. Yeah, the Old Testament Law for Christians is the name okay, of the that's book. That's what I thought. Yeah, I do and, not own the book, but I I need to get it. I, I mean, I, I I would recommend this book to, and I'm I'm granted I am only eight percent into this book. I like literally I'm 8% in, but here's what he does. He, he, uh, starts out by it's cheap too. I think it's a $24 book. I got it for, um, I got it for Kindle. And so anyway, not the point. Um, he, he starts out by saying, well, you know, Christians should really study. And every time somebody does this, like when, uh, when Averbeck in his, his book on the, on, uh, the old Testament for Christians, it's under a different name. I have it right over there. Anyway, um, he starts out and he's, he's really trying to connect the modern day Christian church to the Torah and like, like, oh, well in our modern day, this command could be seen as this, or this command could be seen as this. And I, and when, so when Dr. Gain starts his book with, you know, well, this is, you know, the Christian church can gain a lot from, the, from the old Testament. What I'm thinking is, oh, okay, great. Here we go. Another book like, uh, like Averbeck's that's not at all the case. He basically, he doesn't abandon it, but it's like he, he puts that in so that Christians will keep reading. But ultimately then he just goes straight into the laws of Torah and like how everything is working. It's, it, it's a fantastic book. Um, I don't remember why I went there. Why, why was I going to Dr. Gain? Anyway, I'm off in La La Land now and I apologize. Rabbit trail, which means take a sip of coffee. There's a, there's a drinking game going on in the, uh, in the chat room right now. Let's read some of the comments here. And actually we do have some super chats. So let's, uh, let's get our super chats out of the way. Uh, for love is bigger. We know, uh, your favorites here are actually, let me, let me turn down my volume or I'm going to blow you guys out of the water here. Uh, so for love is bigger, we're going to go with, uh, yeah, here. It's stupid such a cup. fine line between stupid and, and clever. Yeah, it's just weights and measures. It's a little low, but that's okay. You Maybe it's we'll turn it blessed. up. Okay, that's for love is bigger. And then we have Ski Bro the Hebrew, and we're going to do one for him too. Let's see here. Uh, okay, let's do this. Let's do. Uh, oh, I want to do a song. I love these these uh, handles. What do you call like back in CB uh, CB radio? It was your handle. Yeah, that's my yeah, dad. That's... My dad was the tan van man because he had <laughs> he had a tan Dodge like an early seventies Dodge van that awesome. was tan, and he had awesome. a CB radio. <laughs> that's good all but right so let's get, what is it is it a handle what is it called yeah it is it's a youtube handle oh, all right give me handle. give me yeah. give me a second here here we go here's the uh here's the uh this is for ski bro the hebrew and we're gonna say let me put it this way have you ever heard of plato aristotle socrates morons how rude why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. You've been blessed. Okay. That never gets old. That never, that gets, never gets old, old. for me. And Why it's, do it's you a hate the Rob and Caleb show? And that's old school. It's, that's, it's a throwback. That's Rob and Caleb show. So. 
it's a throwback. It's a throwback like, to it's a throwback to old. Yeah, exactly. It's a throwback to when we were uh, when we were the Robin Caleb show. And, oops, sorry. When we were the Robin Caleb show instead of uh, Messiah Matters. And actually, uh, uh, Ski Bro says uh, no, uh, manly ones. No, I'm uh, a manly ones, please. Since he requested a manly one, we're going to do one more for yeah. you. And this Was is that manly enough? Let's this, get him this, a this one manly. is one that our audience has. I know we're on. I mean, we're out in left field. That's okay. Just just bear with us for one more second. Okay, uh, we're done. That's weird. Done. I didn't hear any of that, but that's okay. I enjoyed it was, your it was, miming. <clears throat> it was your uh, it was your Hoff goes off music. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah I, maybe nobody man. heard it. Well, it, I heard it in my in my head. So that's all that really matters. Okay. Um, I want to. So I want to go back. Uh, okay. Uh, Caleb, have you shared more about this bracelet anywhere else? No, I have not. But I'm going to. Um, and somebody says you should make these for merch. And then somebody else said. Uh, and then Josh again said rosary. Ca- uh, count me in. That's funny. Um, so I have not. However, <clears throat> excuse me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I have two different memory methods that I'm using currently right now. I'm using um, one to memorize verbatim text, and then I'm using another one for, um, for uh, like, uh, not verbatim text, but just things to remember. So for instance, I have, I've memorized now, I think, uh, I don't know, 70 church fathers' names and, and uh, kind of uh, where, they, where they are in history and things that they're known for. Um, that's one thing that I've memorized. But then I'm all, I also memorized, obviously, the, uh, the sacrificial system. And I'm currently memorizing a verbatim text as well. Now I'm using two methods to do this, and uh, I have so you can find these methods on online. However, with the verbatim text, no one teaches you how to do verbatim text. What they teach you to do is they teach you how to do lists or lots of of information, but not verbatim text. So I have done extremely d- uh, deep dives into uh, how to do this uh, step by step. And um, I didn't know if there was going to be any interest in it because it's kind of one of those geeky things that I'm into. But uh, oftentimes, a lot of other people are going to be like, I don't really care about this. Why are you talking about this? I've come here for like Torah studies or I've come here for commentaries or whatever. So I wasn't actually going to do anything on it. But uh, since some people are talking about it in the chat room, I am going to put together a video probably on Friday and I will post it on pronomian.com. It'll be memory methods to be able to to memorize uh, scripture, and that's exactly what I'm doing. Actually, I'm I'm uh, attempting currently to memorize Leviticus 19, uh, and uh, I think it's working. I think it's it's going fairly well. Um, it does take some practice, but once you once you get the system down, uh, it goes extremely qu- quickly. So yes, Friday, nice. look for it there, and then all right, let's move on. Where are we at? Let's go to. Back to our notes. Boy, that was just a, a bunch of rabbit trails, wasn't it? It's okay. Lewis sent this question and he says, uh, what is the everlasting covenant? I see in the scriptures that this is mentioned numerous times. That's true. The last time I believe it's mentioned is in the last chapter of Hebrews. I'm pondering what could it mean due to God having many covenants and most, if not all, seem everlasting? Examples with Noah regarding the flood is eternal, everlasting. Abrahamic covenant, God made with himself eternal, everlasting. Mosaic covenant shifts to the heart under the new covenant, everlasting, which is eternal. And with David, which deals with the, a descendant, will sit on the, his throne forever. Olam, forever. Everlasting covenant is singular and not plural. 
Great question. I like this one. Um, and the reason I like this one is because this gets to uh, another thing that I have been uh, kind of trying to put into words and maybe not very well, uh, especially on this show. And that is that I think, and maybe I can do this uh, better now that this question has been framed. So let's go to the scriptures first. Um, I brought this up. So he's right. Uh, Genesis nine sixteen. He's talking about the rainbow. Uh, remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. Now, everlasting here and in every case is uh, olam, which just means eternally or eternal or forever. Um, I will establish my covenant. This is uh, Genesis seventeen seventeen so, or seventeen seven. So we know obviously uh, where we're at here. Abrahamic covenant. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after. Uh, you throughout your generations as an everlasting covenant, Olam, uh, you know, Olam again. Uh, so then we, I, I'll move because there's a ton of these, right? There's, there's a good amount of them uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, the reason I want to move is because uh, we get then to uh, Ezekiel and we get to Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, has talked about the new covenant, right? In Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. And he follows this up. He's still talking about this same theme in verse 32. I'm sorry, chapter 32, rather. In chapter 32, verse 40, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. He's once again, still talking about this covenant written on the heart, right? So the new covenant Ezekiel then is uh, also talking about the same theme he says, never, nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you. And in the days of your, uh, of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Once again, uh, Ezekiel is really where we see the new covenant really get hashed out, I think. Now, everyone turns to Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, but um, Ezekiel is really where he talks about the fact that in the new covenant, what's going to happen is the spirit is, is uh, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for the, for the new covenant. Okay. So what is this? Um, I'm going to go, I know I've been talking for a long time setting this up, but I'm going to go real quickly and then I'm going to pass this over to Rob. So I think that all of the covenants of God, um, all are an aspect of the everlasting covenant. And what I mean by that is you have the Abrahamic covenant, which uh, talks about uh, our uh, loyalty to God and God's loyalty to us. So uh, that we are holy to God. We are holy sanctified unto him. We are set apart for him when he becomes our master. And he is wholly set apart to us um, as master and Lord. Uh, and so this is the relationship, right, that we have um, through through uh, this covenant. And of course, this comes with rights. It comes with land rights and whatnot. Um, this is not the actual point, though. So th we have the, the relationship aspect in the Abrahamic covenant. Then we have the... Um, the uh, stipulations of the covenant in the Mosaic covenant. In other words, uh, I, I'm going to show you who I am. And I show you that through the Torah. Okay. Through, this is my nature. And I want you to be like me. So this is conforming to the standards of who our new master is. Okay. And then we go to the Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant shows us what? Well, it shows us that this one that we have now formed this covenantal relationship with, we've seen who he is and how he is and um, why we are serving him in the Mosaic covenant. Now we see that he will actually come and he will sit on the throne forever, right? That he will be with us. He will actually dwell with us and reign over us in physical form here on earth. All of these then are wrapped up into the new covenant, 
In other words, all aspects of that are put under this umbrella, which is the new covenant. The stipulations are written on the heart, right? He will not ever leave us, right? And uh, because of our loyalty and the, the, uh, the written on the heart, the Torah written on the heart, uh, he is able to dwell with us and he does so from Jerusalem. Okay, so I believe that the everlasting covenant is all of these covenants put into one, which is named the new covenant. Rob? Wow, nice. I would I would probably even suggest that from God's perspective, it's not new. So when we say the new covenant, it's not new from from God's perspective. It's not new from the perspective of eternity. And and so at that last Passover meal, Yeshua says, This is the right, this is the blood of the Brit Hadashah. It means that he is bringing into ratify he's ratifying through his love pre pre-suffering love for the elect and dying for them because he there's no reason for Yeshua to die right there's no sin in him there's no it, there's no reason within creation for Yeshua to die except that he gives his life Right. I mean, who's going to who's going to kill Yeshua? Like there's no death. It's not like he would get old and die. It's not like some sniper archer is going to take him out with a bow and arrow from, you know, far away unexpectedly. Right. It ain't going to happen. Um, and so his death is a unique death um, from all other deaths, of course. Right. But that it is accomplishing something that was from the foundations of the world, right? It, it, it's not a plan B or plan C based on a, a failure of the first plan or anything <clears throat> like that. Um, but that is it. It, it. I would I would say, yeah, what you said. I mean, it, it, that the eternal covenant is it would entail all God's wisdom and plan for accomplishing the redemption of the elect. In, in his son, whereby, where it says bringing many sons to glory, like it says, if we want to think in terms of Hebrew, it is the, the, a way of describing the, um, it's a shorthand for describing God's faithfulness to accomplish his purpose for um, glorifying his son, Yeshua, and, and, and the righteous who are, who are with him. That's, that's how I would, you know, probably describe it. Yeah. yeah, All all those other covenants are, um, uh, necessary aspects of, of how God in his wisdom, some we can maybe understand some we can't in the unfolding of time within creation, right. Within, within a timeline of history, from the human perspective. Yeah. But Messiah uh, was never going to come from the line of, let's say Esau or Ishmael. Right. I mean, that like, that's, uh, it's not like, Oh, eh, I think I'll choose Judah. Oh, I think I'll, you know what? I, I think I put my money on, on Boaz and, <laughs> you know, and Ruth here. No, you know, it's uh so yeah, great question. That's, that's my view. Um, so anyone who, um, put, uh, who was watching the, the chat, the reason that I put him in timeout was because, uh, he decided to, 
uh, move to insults. But what happened? the uh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. The point oh. here is this. Uh, yeah, and he's and and there was something that he said that was uh, fairly right. I I I use the word Calvinist every once in a while because it's easier. It's a it's a throw in title. However, I should have said doctrines of grace. We believe in the doctrines of grace. I don't really care what Calvin said. I don't really care what Luther said. I don't really care what Augustine said. I don't really care what the Church Fathers said. If they said something that's biblical, I will absolutely jump on board with it. And, um, if, if someone says something that's not biblical, I'm not going to jump on board with it. And people will do this all the time. They'll say, oh, well, <clears throat> you know, Calvin said this. It's like, I don't care. Let's talk about the Bible. I don't care what Calvin said. I don't care what Luther said. Now, granted, if they're going to make a good argument, absolutely. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about their argument and how, and why I think it's biblical or why I think it's not. But don't try to use Calvin or Luther or Augustine as if I think that they are scripture, because I don't. And so, yeah, he, he, he was right. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to use the term Calvinist. I'll use the term, uh, you know, doctrines of grace. But the idea that we think that uh, infants can be damned, uh, we have talked on this numerous times. And this is one of the reasons that I have said I am not a, uh, I, am, I don't hold to Arminian theology. If you believe in Arminian theology, then you have to assume that infants can be, can be damned because they have not accepted Christ. It puts, the, uh, it puts the, the, the work on the believer to accept the offer that's given. If you believe in the doctrines of grace, however, what? God pre-ordains, pre which means that you can have something <clears throat> like a uh, age of accountability, right? Uh, which I think is unbiblical if you are coming from a Arminian perspective, uh, because we don't see it anywhere. However, what we do see is we see a Calvinistic view. And when I say Calvinistic, once again, I'm just using this as a shorthand to say the doctrines of grace. When Ezekiel and others uh, know God in the womb, right? Also John the Baptist, know God in the womb. So is TULIP the doctrines of grace? Yes. TULIP is, is what would be considered the doctrines of grace. Okay. Let's move on. Um, I'll go back real quick. The, the, the way that I've always talked about the covenants and what Rob was talking about, the way that I've always talked about it is that the uh, covenants are the spokes in a wheel, right? And that Christ is the hub. So Christ is the, is the hub of the, of the tire. The, the spokes going out are all the covenants, and then the people are the tire on the outside. Okay, and so uh, this is just the way that I conceptualize it, and I conceptualize it like this because, um, depending on the wheel, obviously. But if you take uh, one of the spokes out of a uh, out of a giant wheel, it's going to break, right? You take one of the giant spokes out. What what happens? The the it becomes weak, and then the tire itself breaks. And this is one of the reasons that I mean, like it, with this conceptual idea of it, I don't believe that you can take the Mosaic Covenant out. You can't say, well, this has been fulfilled. And now we're going to take it out of the, you know, take it out, throw it away. Now we have something better. It's not like that. It is part of the overall structure of the, of, of the system. And if you take it out, you're going to have major problems. Okay. <clears throat> we're going to move to our main topic. Now, I was going to say at the beginning of this show, I think that we're, it's going to be a short show, but every time I say that we go over. So I didn't say it, but we're on our main topic. This is the last thing that we have on our show notes. However, I will say this. The other day when we recorded Mystery Bible Theater 3000, we went for like 40 minutes and that was one topic. So you never can tell. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Kay writes in, 
It's a great email, by the way. And we do have to remember to talk about whether or not the Essenes were the Qumran sect. Kay writes in, hi, I was watching your show the other day, and Rob mentioned that Paul would not have considered the Essenes as following the same God as he did. My Torah Observant Fellowship places a lot of importance on the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Zedok calendar, etc. They believe John the Baptist was an Essene, and that they were a group who split from the Judaism of the day, and uh, as it was becoming what we have as modern day Judaism with the Talmud plus priestly corruption. Should we stop here? Can I stop here? Can I stop here? You do Let's stop you here. Want, pretty. <laughs> it's our show. We can do whatever we want. Um, <clears throat> okay. First of all, I know what she, I know what Kay meant here. Um, however, I would say uh, split from the Judaisms of the day. And I think that it is a uh, misconception to think that there was a Judaism that became the rabbinic Judaism that we have today. Now, it is true that after the persecution and after the destruction of the temple and whatnot, you do have a boiling down of the Judaisms into what we now have as rabbinic Judaism. But even within rabbinic Judaism today, you still have major offshoots. However, in the Judaisms of the day of, uh, of Yeshua, in the first century, you didn't simply have the Pharisees that became rabbinic Judaism. You had <clears throat> the Pharisees, the Essenes, you had the Sicarii, you had, which was probably more of a political group, but uh, still nonetheless, you had, um, you know, you had uh, the Sadducees, you had, and, and who knows, right? Who knows what other groups there were? And it seems as though um, these groups all had widely different belief systems, right? So for instance, the Sadducees uh, have a completely different system as the Pharisees. And we could say the same thing about the circumcision, right? The circumcision, we, we believe uh, fully that the circumcision was an actual group of, of Jews and a sect of Jews in the first century. And we've made many a, a joke of how unfortunate a, a name it would be to have your group be uh, labeled the circumcision, right? But nonetheless, uh, Rob has written on this and uh, written on, on the belief of the circumcision. Um, so I understand, and this is not Kay's fault in any way, shape, or form. I, I, I'm just trying to clarify that the idea that John the Baptist and the Essenes would break off from some like monolithic Judaism of the time that like there was this main Judaism that is this, you know, this huge organism that's going to become the rabbinic Judaism. It's, I, I think the it's, it might seem like it's not a big deal to d differentiate this, but it is a big deal to differentiate this because the Pharisees were not the only show in town. And the idea that the uh, scenes would break off, they actually, if they were breaking off from the temple service, they weren't breaking off from the, uh, from the Pharisees. They were breaking off from the Sadducees. Um, and so there's a lot of discussion on exactly what was at play here and who the Essenes actually were because there was an Essene gate, right? Even though the Qumran sect, it seems as though the Qumran sect separates themselves from Jerusalem and they're out in the, you know, they're, they're against the temple service and they're out in the, in the desert, even though they're doing this, um, it seems like there were certain Essenes that were still functioning in Jerusalem that were not part of the Qumran sect, right? So uh, there's, it seems like Qumran was even separate from other Essenes. Do you want to say anything about that before I keep going with her email? 
Um, no, go ahead and go ahead and finish. Uh oh, Rob <clears throat> is in the chat room. I see it now. <laughs> well, I was. You said I was missing out on something. I wanted to check it out. Well, uh, yeah, I suppose you are. See, th this is uh, this is getting annoying. Uh, when you get put in in timeout, <laughs> it's usually for a reason. Well, he's got a Hebrew name, so he sounds official. <laughs> Esau, I hated. Okay, there's not. That's not Deuteronomy. If you don't, if you don't like Deuteronomy, um, Esau, I, I hated. I, before I mean, he was. <laughs> hey, hang on. We have a rule on this show, and this is one of the reasons that uh, he got put in timeout. We have a rule on this show. If you're going to be in the chat room, you talk about the things that we're talking about on the show. Otherwise, what happens is people come in and they decide that they're going to talk about, you know, Christmas and when we're in the middle of a uh, conversation about Qumran. Um, the, the, the point here is simply that uh, uh, this is not going to, I'm not going to tolerate this much longer. Uh, stay on topic and stop bringing your own show topics into the chat room. If you want to talk about things, then get your own show. Um, that's that's what we did. We wanted to talk about our own topics, and so we started a show. You can do the exact same thing. We live in a we live in a, a great time where you can start a YouTube channel with a click of a button. All right, yeah, go for yeah. it. Go for okay. it. Okay, let's. You should let's, have told our parents. Yeah. It, it, oh, <laughs> it's called hyperbole, bro. Okay. Uh, I like seriously last, last draw. Okay. Last draw. Okay. Um, so let's keep going with Kay's message. The person who actually wrote an email instead of bombarding the chat room with stuff that's off topic. Okay. So she says, should we go back and read the last paragraph so that everyone remembers where we were? Uh, my, my Torah observant fellowship places a lot of importance on the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Zedok calendar, etc. They believe John the Baptist was in a scene and that they were a group who split from the Judaisms of the day. I put Judaisms of the day as it was becoming what we have as modern day Judaism with the Talmud plus priestly corruption. This was the first time I had heard that Paul and maybe others would have rejected the Essenes or rather the community. I don't like secret and mystical things, but also recognize that there is a lot of history and religion we don't know, especially a layperson like myself. Just interested in your views on this, which possibly includes the calendar issues, so this could be a huge topic, but I've been over those several times. But if the Qumran community is a weirdo sect, then why would we worry about their calendar? Well, number one, I'm not worried about their calendar. I don't follow the, the uh, Zadok calendar. I, I don't know why anyone would. Uh, Yeshua doesn't seem to do that. He is, he's in the temple. He's following the temple uh, calendar. He goes to Jerusalem on the day that the Passover, like throughout his life goes when the Passover is, uh, is happening. Hang on, I'm getting, okay. Uh, dude, stop trolling. Okay, so we're going to just hide user from channel. Thank you for your uh, input, but we are going to uh, just move on from you. We don't need to. Thank you. Uh, bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for your input, but uh, we don't care. So, okay. Yeah, you can let it. Exactly. <laughs> Josh. Perfect. He says, uh, uh, let, let us know when you start your own YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. So, Back to the topic at hand, everyone. Sorry about that. Um, 
I'm not concerned about the Qumran calendar. I, I, I don't understand why people would uh, follow a, a, a calendar that Yeshua clearly did not. Um, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, if it's good enough for Yeshua, it's good enough for me. And they'll say that in terms of Torah observance. Well, I think that the Torah observance is a given. It's not about whether or not Yeshua kept it or not. Of course, Yeshua kept the, the Torah, uh, and we should too. The, the times that I'll say things like, well, it was good enough Yeshua, for Yeshua, it was, it's good enough for me, is when we're talking about things that are uh, traditional, okay? Um, some people are going to possibly rightly say things like, well, um, you know, uh, the rabbinic calendar isn't, is man-made like, we, you know, we should, we shouldn't follow after what Israel's doing on the calendar, um, because we should follow after what the Bible is, uh, does. And my response to that is, okay, well, if it was good enough for Yeshua, it's good enough for me. And the reason I say that is because we know that the temple actually did push things out or added leap years or, um, cited the moon even like a day or two late. They'll do, they did stuff like that specifically four reasons. And we, we know this from first century, you know, from, from early writings. Okay. And so the, uh, the point here is simply this, if Yeshua was willing to follow a majority, uh, rule like this, then I think that for us, uh, unless it's something that is, you know, out there, um, I, I have no problem doing that. So in terms of the, the Zedok calendar and the Qumran calendar, I, I simply don't get it. I, I don't get it at all. I don't understand why anyone would follow it. Um, I think it, it falls almost into the Hebrew roots category of, um, you know, well, we're going to be different than everyone. However, with all of that said, now I got to be careful here a little bit. The reason why is because I know wonderful brothers and sisters in the Lord who follow, um, who follow such a, a, a tradition, you know, a, a calendar like this. And so I'm not saying that these people are outside of the fellowship or anything like that. I'm just saying, I don't understand it. That doesn't mean much, but I, I mean, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And so, uh, let's talk about the calendar issue in the beginning. And Rob has done a significant amount of work on this too. So I'm going to pass it over to him. All right. Um, and I'm, I, I'm off the chat right now, just so you know. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I'm, I am guilty of contributing to that distraction. So um, my apologies. Um, so yeah, so I, the idea of, I think the way we talked about it before was recognizing first boots on the ground in the first century, there is no monolithic Judaism, right? There's, there, there's different groups that have different special interests and different and relative levels of power and um with respect to the temple and then and then you have groups as you know that basically says we're going to pack up our toys and go go out into the wilderness and but yet it seems that like with Qumran and I I do think that it makes sense that what Josephus refers to as the Essenes and Philo it it's the best fit for what we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls agreed the uh Sydney White Crawford is a a scholar who's written about that. And she wrote a book called, I think it's called Scribes and Scrolls at Qumran or something like that. It's Erdman's publishing. It might be 10 years, less than 10. It's, it's fairly, maybe five years old. Great book. You know, it, it gets into that. She explores that idea for those interested in looking into that. But um, aside from that, I would say, and, and just to repeat, you know, for those who didn't hear last week, when Yeshua is talking to the Samaritan woman, 
in my my way of describing it, the Samaritans were a Mosaic covenant community. In other words, they had some concept of a revelation to Moses. They had a sacred text of that, and they had a set of practices and convictions about the location of proper worship and stuff like that. And Yeshua said to them, he didn't say, uh, uh, you're wrong for you know this or that but he but the way he put it in in the basic confrontational way was you don't know what you guys don't know what you worship right and so he doesn't say you worship the wrong god i mean cuz she says well our you know this is the well of our father jacob you know are you greater than our father jacob and yeshua didn't say oh you're really assyrians you're not even really from the stock of israel he didn't undermine her claim to say Jacob was her fa- their father, but he said, you, you worship what you don't know. So that means there's a gap. There's a gap. Yeshua is telling the woman in truth that there's a gap between Samaritan theology and practice and the truth of the God of Israel. And so he didn't say you guys worship a different God, but he says, you, you don't know what you're doing. Um, and I, I believe Yeshua, (laughs) that that was accurate, that that was the truth. And I would, and then you take something like where Paul writes in, in Romans, where I believe he's talking about general Pharisaic worldview, like in Romans 10, he says, you know, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Right. In my opinion, you know, someone could say, no, I think he's talking about, it's a big enough umbrella that it could, it can include Pharisees as well as it seems. Sure, I, I suppose that could be the case, but but I don't. The reason I think the Essenes would be excluded for Paul because I think Paul Paul would would take them to task in a way that he wouldn't for other things than he would take a Pharisee to task for. But Paul would take a Pharisee to task for the things that we read about. I think in his epistles, when it comes to calendar. Um, rejection of the centrality of, of the temple, you know, um, the, the idea of we're going to move and start our own little community out here and that, and then building the rule set of, of unless you, you know, join our group, you're not true Israel and stuff like that. Paul's going to say, and then, yeah. And, and then the adoption of, of extra biblical, you know, I think canonically Paul would take them to task at what, uh, what books they're taking authoritative as authoritative. And of course the calendar issue is built into that. And so my, my opinion is that Paul would say, yeah, they, uh, they, it would be something similar to what Yeshua says to the Samaritan woman. It's like, you, you don't know what you're doing. Um, so, so there, there's a couple of things that we should probably clarify here. I, I, I love the rundown and I, and I agree with you. I, I think that, uh, I think that Paul was not buying any of the, 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 the notion that John the Baptist was a Qumrani cannot be substantiated for any from any source or any it's it's kind of taken out of thin air from the fact that he was in the desert that's what the, that's no what the secular taking. scholars will push that like for example like if you go today like if you go to Qumran the the archaeological site and you go they they kind of like herd you like cattle into this right into this room where they put play a video camera and it's and it's like a little five minute like Live they are making their money. They're making their money. 
yeah, they they tell you, oh, John the Baptist was like part of this group and all that. And it's like, but the, but that's just no. it. It's, that's my point is that they, that we don't have any data that would point that points to that except for the idea that he was he was in the desert. Now the question is is why was he in the desert? I don't think it was because he had joined some Qumran sect. I think it's because he was showing that Israel needed to go back out and start again. In other words, where Deuter you know Deuteronomy leaves off with with Moses dying, and then. Uh, Joshua takes over. They're standing there and God gives them the covenant. They say, yes, we'll do it in the beginning of Joshua, right? He says, all right, come on through, come through the Jordan. And that, and this is exactly where we see John the Baptist. So I think that there are theological implications here that are going on. I don't think it's because he's some a part of some sect uh, out, you know, the Qumran sect out, out in the wilderness. Right, right. And, and there's, and there's no, yeah. there's no evidence to, to point that, that he was part of some sect. With that said, we need to, to do some clarification here. Um, so did Yeshua keep the Hillel two calendar? No, the Hillel two calendar was not standardized until after the time of Yeshua. So the idea that he would keep that Hillel two calendar is simply not true. But the point is, is that he goes with the majority and, um, the majority calendar. And, uh, we know this because <clears throat> this is some of the other questions that are being asked in the chat room. We know this because clearly he goes, up to the um, to the temple for the festivals, and um, he goes. Uh, there's no other time. I've, I've mentioned this many, many times on this show. There's no there's no chance that uh, anyone would be able to go to the temple, go to the priest, say, "Here's a lamb. Please slaughter it for me, and then give it back to me." There's no other. If you did that on Nissan 16, they'd say, "Get out of here. You're a day late." If you did that on you know Nissan 22, they'd be like, "What are you doing?" It, absolutely not. So there's only one time that they'd be able to have this sacrifice done. Somebody else asked, what are the implications? Uh, you know, who cares if, if somebody's on the other, uh, uh, you know, um, actually, I'll just read the question. Question, as I recall, there are only a couple of God's appointed holidays where the calendar can be debatable. Other than those times, are there any other calendar issues to debate? Yes, there are. So uh, number one, the leap year, Okay, so if you don't put a leap year in every three years, uh, you're going to end up celebrating Passover in September at some point. That's all there is to it. And um, so the the fact of the matter is, is that um, all of the festivals become off, all of the festivals. So um, it's not just one or two or a, a handful of them. It's all of the festivals are now being celebrated at a different time than the, than the rest of the community. That's number one. Number two, um, your your uh, moon phases are off. And uh, some people will say, well, you just you just cite the moon. Okay, I, I understand the argument, and I'm not necessarily against that argument. However, once again, the standardization standardization of the calendar was done so that all of the world would be on the same on the same calendar, and I think that there is value in that. Um, and finally, yeah, and 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 just a footnote there is that both Enoch and the Book of Jubilees advance a solar only calendar. It's anti lunar, which is anti Torah. Right, right. right. It, um, from Genesis one, it's the it's the moon and the sun together that are, that are part of the clock. Um, but right. there is a push to insist on a three hundred and sixty in the earliest manuscripts, and then later three hundred and sixty four day calendar. And the desire was to have feasts always be on the same day of the week every year. Right. And and if you're gonna if you're gonna adopt that kind of worldview. <clears throat> Um, I would just say, hey, tap the brakes and compare it with what the Torah commands. You know, is, is it? It's a sectarian agenda being driven that actually pulls people away from the Torah of Moses and affirms 
additional revelation, which was Enochic revelation, where he traveled the heavens and comes and reveals knowledge. And then Jubil the book of Jubilees, which is presents itself as a second revelation um, to Moses. Well, okay, so, this is a this is a great point, Rob, and and this is you know, Kay's. I'm calling her Kay, but she's in the chat room. Katie uh, has has asked the question. You know, okay, what about the calendar? But ultimately, those who are uh, you know really taken with the Qumran sect need to be, need to be extremely careful. Is there value in the Qumran uh, in the Qumran writings? The answer is absolutely. And what's that value? Well, we can look at the manuscripts, the biblical manuscripts that they have. And we can put them against the modern manuscripts and we can see how close they are. That's that's one of the greatest uh, benefits that we have from the Qumran sect is, is their record keeping in terms of the manuscripts that they have. The other thing is, is that we have records now of a working community in the first century more than any other community. And their rules, like what and they did rules. for membership, what <clears throat> right. was uh, the vows they had to take, when they could participate in drink, when they could partake in solid food what it cost them to join um, and how they differentiated insiders from outsiders. And it's all in like Hebrew language, first century and BC and first century AD Hebrew language. I mean, this is like gold when it comes to like, wow, we can see how variegated the religious landscape was. It wasn't just like the Catholic church. They are okay. <laughs> so, so, okay. So, so a couple things here. Number one, um, just because we're saying that it's important to be able to see how a first century community worked and what their rules were does not mean that they were right. Correct. Right. If you look at their theology, it was absolutely horrific. Now, Katie, the one who wrote this email, she says this, they, uh, uh I sent the question. In, okay. She, she says this, and this is an important question. Now, Katie, I, I'm, I have literature on this that you, that you can read. Um, and uh, I'm not sure how new of a, a listener Katie is. Um, we have talked about this on our show, uh, mul multiple times. And I would, before I say anything, I'm just going to reference, you can go back and, and see, I think it's show one. It's before we move to Messiah matters show 196 or 169 or something like that. Uh, but just look up um, the Robin Caleb show or Brant Petrie. And you're gonna, it's probably one of the best shows we've ever done. Uh, and we, we interview Brant Petrie. But she asks this question, and not ever, don't everybody jump at once, okay? She says I, uh, they wanted to get him down before the high holy day, that is Christ, which would have been uh, ULB. I'm not sure what ULB is. So he would have had to die. Unleavened bread, maybe. Oh, unleavened, unleavened bread. There we go. Been unleavened bread. So I have, he would have, I have the acronym skills. There you go. So LOL. he would ha have had to die yeah, as lambs were killed. This is totally false. I'm sorry. This is this is not wrong. Um, and a book recommendation for this would be um, he's he's a Roman Catholic. Full disclosure, um, I'm going to give you three three references here, Katie. Um, the first one would be Brant Petrie. Uh, Jesus in the Last Supper. So uh, that's that's a good one. Um, the second one would be my father's paper, which is on TorahResource.com. It's totally free. Um, and it is the chronology of the passion. 
And the third one would be my uh, paper on the chronology of the, of the passion where I take Brant Petrie's work and I take my father's work and I meld them together into one paper. Um, so if you go to pronomian.com, once again, totally free, just put in chronology and it will be the only uh, thing that pops up. Uh, chronology of the passion is, uh, is, is what that is. Now, um, just to address the idea, uh, so he would, have been, he would have died as the lambs were being killed. Uh, no, this is not true. Uh, and we know this not only from the Synoptic Gospels, but we know this also from John. Uh, Yeshua celebrated the the Passover with his uh, with his disciples, as all the synoptics say. They went to the temple. They had the lambs slain at the time that the lambs were slain, and they ate the Passover meal. And they did it that night. He says in uh, Luke, "I have earnestly desired to eat this Pascha with you." He could not have done that the night before. He could not have done that on the thirteenth. Um, so anyway, by the way, uh, if Katie might, Katie might not know what she was stepping into because this is actually the uh, the the my focus of study. Um, and so I, I, I have, I have opinions. Um, so she finishes this comment with, no with way, which, man. I know, right. Which <laughs> means he would have had a Passover supper one night early. He certainly did not have a Passover supper one night early. That as, is a, that is another, I, I call it Hebrew roots lore. Folklore. Well, you got to be careful with that because because even the even or, good scholarship well, has has taken what they call the Johannine chronology and what and what what this who has a, good scholarship. I mean, even oh, uh, oh, even oh. Um, no. I mean, I mean, among people who are actually pra- like advancing that it should be kept. Um, so, oh, I yeah yeah. So but 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 the, but the the idea that like so just so Katie there was a an, Galilean tradition. Right. One, that's another one that the yeah. redemption of the firstborn. You know, the fast of the firstborn. And uh, and Petrie and Petrie talks about all this little lore that I, I touch on this too in mine. But but ultimately the idea that uh, that the Johannine. So so uh, Katie might not know this, but but what uh, what she's putting forward here in this comment. By the way, this is really good, Katie. I don't want you to feel like we're coming down on you. This is good because I think it, it, it uh, helps all of our listeners understand kind of not only where we're coming from, but it also frames all, di- all the different arguments. So Katie might not be aware of this, but what she's actually uh, putting forward is called the Johannine chronology. The Johannine chronology, the, pr- the biggest problem with the Johannine chronology is that you have um, scholars who will say, well, um, the Synoptic Gospels have one chronology and John has a separate chronology. They're both, they're not, they can't be reconciled. And so we have to decide which one we think is right and which one we think is wrong. And, and so those who hold to a synoptic gospel chronology will say, well, John was actually writing according to, uh, the- for theology. He was not, he was not writing according to truth, but not that it's not true, but really it's more, he's, he's, he's moving things all around so that, uh, he can, he can have, uh, Yeshua die at the same time as the lambs, which is a theological point. It's not actual history. And then you have this, uh, the Johannine chronology people, uh, like Keener, I believe takes a Johannine, uh, chronology. And what he says is, well, the synoptic gospels are actually, um, moving things and they're moving things for various reasons. He'll list all these different reasons. And he thinks that actually Yeshua did die during the uh, slaughtering of the lambs. Okay. I don't know how we got on this topic, by the way, but it's, a, because, but I will well, talk, does, does, I'll talk about this all the time. Does the um, calendar the, matter? I think but that's, the, but the, the point, the trend. main point here is no matter if you take the Johannine chronology or if you take the, uh, uh the, uh, synoptic chronology, what you're saying is one of these chronologies is not correct. That's what you're saying. Now I have a major issue with that. 
And so what I want to say is, no, both of them are correct. We have misunderstood. And through the the fantastic work of my father, Tim Hag, and the fantastic work of B- Brant Petrie, who came to the exact same conclusions as my father. Without only, knowledge of. Without knowledge of my father, 15 years later. Um, we Now scholarship is starting to say, oh, whoa, Has wait. Has Keener responded to Petrie? Because I know, I doubt Keener would read. Tim Haig, but he would he read? So, so I asked Keener, I said, uh, this was, I don't know how many years ago this was, but I, I, at the ETS, I walked up to Keener and I said, Dr. Keener, I'm just wondering, um, you know, you wrote that you held to a Johannine chronology. Are you still holding to a Johannine chronology of the passion? And he said, well, um, no, I'm starting to change on that. And I said, why are you starting to change on that? He said, because of the great work that Petrie has done uh, in response hey, good. to good. Oh, good to hear. So um, I don't think he's retracted uh, officially, but I think that uh, he's he's step, he's read Ke- uh, Petrie and he's he's started to understand that there is there is a way to reconcile all of the texts together as one. And uh, so I, I would encourage uh, Katie and anyone else who is interested in this. Uh, there's been uh, significant hundreds of hours by not only myself and my father, but also uh, Bram Petrie. Um, and we've, we've really gone to, to lengths to try to show how all of these um, accounts can actually meld together. Now, my, uh, my writing was actually not for the specific reason of trying to align the, the chronology of the Passion. Mine actually was to uh, try to show that uh, Christ's statement, do this in remembrance of me, is a uh, declaration of deity and that he is uh, proclaiming himself to be God in that statement. Um, and so, but to do that, I had to show that it was in fact a Passover meal. So that's why I wrote so extensively on that. Now, of course, the bulk of that uh, research has still not been published. And who knows? Only the Lord knows if it'll ever get published or not. Okay. Well, can we're, I insert one last little footnote? Absolutely. On this. Josephus calls these different sects, he calls them sects, but he calls them philosophies, philosophical schools. The Essenes, well, first he says Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes. Um, And I think that we know, we don't know anything about the Essenes really in the apostolic writings, but we do know like where Paul points out that there's a time where he sees that there's Pharisees and Sadducees. And so he says, for the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I'm called, is the accusation. And he, he realizes that the Sadducees reject certain things that the Pharisees take for granted as true. And Paul's definitely on the Pharisaic side here. Right. And so yeah. now we we never have Paul addressing Sadducees specifically for their their what they teach about the, the law of Moses. But we have no record of any Sadducee coming to faith. Acts, you know, Paul tells us or Luke rather in Acts tells us of priests coming to faith, tells us of Pharisees coming to faith, but no Sadducees. Now, does that mean there was never a Sadducee that came to believe? In my view, they would have to first adopt a Pharisaic worldview. They they would have to abandon things that they were stern about being a Sadducee about in order to, for, for, for example, resurrection. Resurrection, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's a big one, right? Like, is there, is there a, well, I reject the resurrection, but I want to be a disciple of Yeshua, right? It's just, it, it doesn't happen. And so- Yeah, you can't um, have salvation if you don't have Yeshua raising from the dead. It, exactly, exactly. If there's, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 goes into that. If there's no resurrection, then like, um, so- 
the point is, does would would they say it's a different God? I, he'd say it's a different Torah. It's a different worldview. And therefore, yeah, it's like not really, it's not really God. You don't know God. And ultimately, if you don't know the son, you don't know the father. Uh, I mean, I to- that's, I totally, that's, yeah. that's said clearly. Yeah. Katie uh, makes a great statement. She says, it seems like majoring in the minors, but the minors a- add up with uh, add up when ignored and become a doctrine. And I don't want to do uh, get lost in the in false doctrine. Uh, majoring in the minors, I, I I completely agree with with you. That's what it seems like. However, I will say this: my uh, work in uh, particularly in in Luke twenty two nineteen uh, bled out into the chronology, which uh, was a overview of, of the passion from um, all four gospels, and then that bled out into uh, meals in the Greco. Roman world. And that has now and since become um, a even larger topic, which is uh, sacrificial meals. And uh, how did the ancient world view eating, not just uh, not just meals, but in particularly meat? And uh, how did that play into the everyday life of, of the followers of Christ and just Israel in general? And are we doing it wrong? So I mean, what now uh, such a small idea uh, and such a uh, uh, majoring in the minors has become a, uh, for me, has become a labor of attempting to understand how we as believers and should should, should uh, view eating, first of all, but also then tracking the fact that almost all of the major disputes that we have, I shouldn't say that, but a, a huge amount of disputes that man has with God, including the fall itself, has to do with food. And I think that this is actually significant. So um, uh, uh, majoring in the minors, I, I agree with you. It, it does seem like that, but I also think that uh, majoring in the minors will always lead to larger studies, which will inevitably lead us to um, foundational doctrine and uh, in some way, shape, or form, and how we view our walk with God. Okay, let's, uh, let's call it for the day. And of course, we went over because... I made the comment that I th- thought we would uh, be done early. We certainly were not. Um, we appreciate so much uh, Katie and everyone else who sent in uh, their questions this past week, Stephanie. And uh, uh, if you have questions or comments for us, chegatorresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at resource.com. For anyone who uh, is disagreeing with us and wants to come debate us, uh, we'd be happy to uh, see your arguments in an email or on our comment line. Uh, we just don't like it when people jump into the chat room and decide that they're going to try to start debating in the chat room on topics that we're not talking about. Um, so uh, it, it, please, by all means, utilize the email address chegatorresource.com. You can also uh, leave us a comment line, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. We will be back on Friday with a Mystery Bible Theater 3000. It's a good one. You're not going to want to miss it. It's 40 minutes long, so it's a longer Mystery Bible Theater 3000 than normal. But it's a good one, and we got more in the wings, so uh, make sure that you catch those. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why, because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.